Good afternoon, everyone. It is a great pleasure to welcome you all of here to this last Mass of the day, Mass <laughs> of Father Kyle White. I want to welcome everyone, particularly uh, family, friends, relatives, uh, brother priests and seminarians who are here. And thank Father White for giving me this great honor to preach his first Mass of Thanksgiving. So it's hard to believe that actually Father White was one of the first students I met eight years ago when I was assigned as chaplain UL in 2010. He was a sophomore going into his sophomore year uh, and part of our leadership team. He knows this. I saw a potential vocation to him pretty early on and I wasn't afraid to tell him. Of course, he didn't necessarily like that so he kind of we talked a little bit about it, then he got into a relationship, then he ghosted me. That's fine. <laughs> a few months later, I remember it so distinctly. I was in my office, and I got a phone call, and it was then Kyle. And Kyle said, Father, I made the decision. I'm going to the seminary. And I was kind of shocked, and I said, but Kyle, aren't you dating someone? And he says, yeah, I'm heading over to go break up with her right now, and then I'm going to go see Father Bordelon. <laughs> I got permission from both parties to tell that story, so don't worry. <laughs> but the rest is history. And after this long journey of six years, so happy uh, to be able to be here, to be able to preach this Mass. And, and I know that Kyle is going to be a heck of a priest. So genuine, so sincere, so prayerful. No guile in him. You know, it's going to be great seeing him grow as a priest and as a pastor. But we're here today to talk about John the Baptist. If you've been to the other three Masses, you should know that by now. <laughs> and we're celebrating his birth today. Besides our Lord and besides Our Lady, he is the only other saint in the Roman calendar where we celebrate the individual's birthday. And so it should tell us something about how the church sees St. John the Baptist as one of the greatest and the most important saints. Now you don't need the fact that we celebrate his birthday along with his martyrdom to know this. Jesus himself said that there was no other man born of a woman greater than John the Baptist. Who's the only other person that we see in the New Testament whose birth is announced by an angel? It's Jesus and John the Baptist. His name was given to him by God. John, which means that God is gracious or, God, or the gift of God. And it was said that he was going to be a prophet as great as or greater than Elijah. Why, though, was John considered so important? so great? Why were all of these things, even before his birth, pointing to his significance? And I think the answer should be pretty simple. It's because of the importance of his vocation, because of the importance of his mission. Yes, he was a priest of the Old Covenant. He was a descendant of both Aaron and Levi. But more than that, his mission, his vocation, wasn't so much to be a priest but to be a prophet. And not just any prophet, a prophet who is there to pave the way for the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. 
to be that friend of the bridegroom whose job it was to prepare the bride for these mystical nuptials. And so this tremendous vocation that no one up until that point had before. And John was very well aware of it. He knew the prophecies. He knew the expectations. He knew what he was called to, even though he may not have fully understood the details. And so I wonder, and, and I encourage Father to wonder along with us, did John ever wrestle with this? Did he ever struggle with this reality? You kind of see him maybe sitting in the desert and he's sweating, kind of like some of you may be here today. At least you're not wearing camel hair. <laughs> eating some nasty old bugs and he's thinking, am I really worthy for this? I know my call. I know the angel predicted what was going to happen to me. Am I, am I living up to it? Am I doing everything correctly? Am I doing a good job? And of course, John's goal was to, to preach repentance from sin. So he would have been very well aware of his own sinfulness, his own imperfection, and his own need for repentance. Or maybe towards the end of his life, where he's sitting in prison, wondering, did I get it all wrong? And he's facing the darkness and the confusion. He'd been preaching the Messiah who was going to come in power, who was going to bring hope and freedom and redemption to Israel. But instead, what happened? He's there in prison awaiting his death at the hands of a spiteful queen and a twisted king. And so he sends messengers to Jesus. Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? He was looking for light in the midst of the darkness and confusions. And so, Father White, this, I believe, is what you will and all conscientious priests will face when we are striving to truly live out our vocation. And so over the course of the past four or six years, you studied, you prayed, you read all the books, you took the classes, you know the dignity of the priesthood, the gift of being able to not just act, but to be another Christ. Unlike the angels, you're able to bring Jesus to earth in the gift of the Eucharist. It is a calling so much greater than that of John the Baptist. Even the smallest priest is greater than John the Baptist because John the Baptist's vocation was to point out Christ. Yours, Father White, is to be conformed to Christ and to bring Christ and the sacraments to his people. He acts in you and through you in a way he never did through John the Baptist. But also, I hope now, and I can assure you, in the coming years, you will become deeply aware of your own sinfulness and your own unworthiness and how you don't live up to the ideal of Christ the priest. You're going to feel in time that maybe you haven't done enough as a priest. You're going to face failure and rejection, your own weakness and imperfection. You might even feel that you're not good enough, that you are a complete failure. You might even end up feeling like John the Baptist in prison, facing that darkness and confusion, wondering if you got it all wrong. Asking yourself, possibly, 
what did I get myself into? Every priest to a great degree has done that. Maybe be tempted to feel that you'd have been better off doing something else. Or even worse, questioning or wondering if you've ever been called in the first place. It's like Isaiah in the first reading. I thought I had toiled in vain and for nothing, uselessly spent my strength doing so much and often not seeing a lot of results come with it. But when you face these things, Father White, this seemingly grim prospect, you're going to be faced with a chasm between what you're called to be and who you are and your own self-knowledge and how you realize that you in no way, shape, or form live up to it. But the key, though, is living in that tension is the way that you're going to find meaning in your priesthood. Now, this is my second Mass I've preached. I've been to three total. I'm not going to get away, or if you know me, some of the students, I see a lot of students will know this, I'm not going to get away on being able to preach your first Mass without quoting Hans Urs von Balthasar. <laughs> Can't do that at all. The great Swiss theologian who was so influential on Pope Benedict and Pope John Paul II. And he has a wonderful quote, and this quote is kind of long, so I'm going to do my best to explain it, but he puts it in better words than I could. He puts in a lot more words than I ever could, too, but we're going to try to make it as best as we can. It's just so profound. It's something has always spoken a lot to me during the course of my 18 years as a priest. He says, the priestly existence is definitively rooted in the gaping discrepancy between office, which is your vocation, what you're called to be as a priest, and your person, who you are. And thus, in an ethos, an ethos is an ethical system, a way of behaving that stems radically from its roots from humility and is kept alive by the constantly renewed humiliations that manifest and actualize the lasting imperity between official dignity, the dignity of the priesthood, and personal accomplishment, what you do and you achieve as a priest. In his effort to be worthy of his office, to be worthy of his calling, and in the process, increasingly to sacrifice and submerge his subjectivity, the priest can expect as his only reward the consciousness, not that he has become equal to the office, but that the office has been able to succeed in him despite his inadequacies. What is Balthazar saying? He's saying that the more you become, Father White, aware the dignity of your priesthood and how you don't live up to it, the better of a priest that you are going to be. Why? Because you are going to learn humility, to be able to step aside and to allow Christ to act in and through you. His power will be made evident in your weakness. I'm summing up in a lesson that John the Baptist knew well and he was able to preach. He must increase and I must decrease. And facing this chasm, this discrepancy, is where you will truly know what it means to live a priestly existence. You say, well, Father, that sounds true. It's very profound. But how does the priest do it? How does the priest face the gaping discrepancy 
and not become this crushed and become discouraged. So what I want to do is offer you three pieces of advice from my own experience and from what I've been able to glean from people who are much holier than I am, and at the same time to be able to offer you, friends and family, parishioners, future parishioners, the same type of advice that, that doesn't just apply to Father White, but should apply to your relationship to all priests. The first thing, when you are faced with that chasm, that discrepancy, see yourself as a priest and your priesthood through the eyes of others. And so when we're in that state, facing the chasm, realizing how inadequate we are, it's really hard to see our dignity as a priest, to see that we're doing any good, and at times to see that we really are any good. And so Father Jacques Philippe, whom you know I love, puts it so beautifully that we, priests included, urgently need the mediation of another's eyes to love ourselves and accept ourselves. It'll be the eyes of a brother priest, or parishioners, or sisters, or religious, or friends. But they're all ultimately the eyes of the Father who are looking at you and saying, yes, even in your weakness, even in your imperfection, Father, you're still called, you're still chosen, I still love you, you're still a priest, and you're still a son. Because the eyes of other people can be much more objective than our own. And so for you, the good people who are here, do not let Father White forget how much you love him and how important his priesthood is and how good he is. Because priests can forget that too. We're not angels in heaven. Speaking of that, number two. Something I like to talk a lot about, at least recently. Learn to practice the art of failure. The art of failure. Because guess what? You're going to fail. You are going to notice, you may have already noticed today, how much you're going to fall short. Whether it be in our prayer, our preaching, our confession, or living up to our own expectations, you can beat yourself up and despair, or you can learn how to fail, how to be weak. And St. Therese, of course, gives us the great example of that. As much as we know that she was a saint, we also know that she was very well aware of her own weakness and her imperfection. And so let's say that she had failed or was unfaithful. She would then say, if I had been faithful, I would have received the reward of merit. But I was unfaithful. I am humiliated, and I'm going to receive the reward of my poverty and humiliation. That's how the Lord can teach you even in your failures and weakness to grow because you're going to learn to be humble and to step back and to allow the Lord to move forward. It's a cause of great rejoicing. And friends and family, please, priests are not perfect. They are going to make mistakes. And granted, we have the evidence of sometimes there are things that are criminal activity. The priests are weak and fallen just like everybody else. Please show Father White some mercy. Show all of us some mercy. The same mercy that you would hope and expect him to show to you. It means a lot. It teaches the priests how to fail. And third and finally, I'm going to encourage you, through it all, to pray like a priest. Now, of course, 
your bravery, your mass, your rosary, but something else that took me a long time to learn as a priest. I'd often thought that I wasn't that good of a prayer, I didn't have anything to say. I struggled at that until I stumbled upon a wonderful quote from Bishop Sheen. I think it was in his book on the priesthood, uh, with the, I forgot what it's called, but you'll look it up, probably know. He has a lot of them. And he's talking about, from his own experience as a priest, what it's like to pray as a priest. And this is the best description I've ever heard, particularly if you were going to talk about wanting to understand how a priest prays. He says, few priests like verbal or vocal prayers. I can't stand them. <laughs> Just being honest. This is not because good priests are unprayerful, but because their prayers are sighs. Their aspirations are inspirations. Always conscious of their mission, they feel the deep, silent work of the Spirit within them. They have very few petitions. They rarely make a novena for something they want. They set the people to make the novenas. Their best prayers are unspoken. Their prayers are within their prayers. The talking to the Father is to the Son through the Spirit who inspires them what to say. These are the times when you're going to realize how unworthy you are, how inadequate you are, when you're facing struggles and trials, it's going to be that spirit groaning within you that's going to help you pray in words where you don't even know what you're saying. To help you face the chasm, to face the discrepancy. And I ask you people, whether it be with the groans of the spirit or with your novenas or with whatever, pray for Father White and let him know that you're praying for him. And so I want to close with the story. A few weeks into the first semester here, my first year in the fall of 2010, Father White was working in the cafe. Um, and and he, he, we were talking. I don't know if you remember this. We were talking. I remember it so clearly. He said that when he had found out that I had gotten named as pastor, the leadership team were at a, like a little retreat in Colorado, and over the coming weeks, he had heard all of these horror stories about Father Sibley. <laughs> he was fierce and harsh and going to intimidate the students and drive them out of the student center. But then he said, you know, Father, after getting to know you, you're like William Wallace from Braveheart. As intimidating and scary on the inside, on the outside, but you're really a goofball <laughs> and not very serious. You remember that? <laughs> he doesn't. That was one of the best compliments I've ever gotten <laughs> compared to William Wallace. But I think, in a certain sense, Father White, that that story sums up what I've been trying to say. And on the outside. You can, and others will have an expectation, this ideal of what it means to be a priest, to be perfect and holy and prayerful, to be Jesus Christ himself walking on earth. But on the inside, you'll know, and others will too, how you don't live up to that ideal. You don't live up to the expectation. In fact, you're something completely different. But it's in that knowledge facing the chasm and living in that tension 
that you will be able to allow Christ the priest to work in you and through you, and you will be the priest Jesus called you to be. Amen.